And so tonight we're going to read out this text and we're going to talk about the seven things that God detests. And if you have your Bible, it's in the notes as well so you can follow along. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, we'll get started. And I'm going to be having my Facebook here for those that are watching online. If you have questions as well, we will present them as well. Yes, yes. Rachel Anderson says, Bishop will be the lead dancer in our new, our dance ministry. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, he shall. Glory to God. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and 19 reads this way. There are six things the Lord hates. No seven things he detests. And in verse 17, it says, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family is the reading of this text. We're going to talk about these seven things tonight, and I'm going to ask some questions. I want you to chime in. I got Chase down here with the mic, and Isaiah's got a mic on the left side as well, so we'll try to get these to you if you have a thought to add. I always like thoughts to be added to the Word of God or to, to a, a session like this. And so we look at the first detesting sin, and it says haughty eyes. Now, this simply means just pride, someone who wants to be lifted up. This area can be tempting because we are human, and we walk in this flesh. So here's what happens. Naturally, we want to be exalted by our good deeds or even good works that we have or have performed because this is human nature. It's human nature to want approval of some sort. Uh, or this is, we can call, this is the nature of the beast even. And so we all want to be glory or lifted to some extent. I remember as a child when I did something well, if my father would say, you did a good job. It meant more than my coach saying, you did a good job. If my mom would say, man, Nathan, you really played your heart off, heart off out there. And I really, really, you did really well. And I would say, man, it felt more, it felt like I needed that. My flesh, my human nature needed it. And we, and not that I wanted it. You know, I, I look around this audience and I see a brother, you know, Clarence uh, Vance is in the house and, 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 and all I've heard were stories about his basketball skills. And so I, it's good to relive some of those days. And, and it feels good when somebody says, oh, man, sticks. Oh, that guy could ball. Because it, whether we wanted to hear it or not, I mean, it, we liked it. And it, it felt good because it makes us reminisce of the old days. And, and like, yes, those were good days. And so naturally human nature wants to be lifted up to an extent. But here is something that the writer is telling us to be careful in this area of haughty eyes or pride, someone who wants to be lifted up. Because we, we have issues in today's circle of Christianity and in, in the world of walking it with Christ that we want to be glorified instead of allowing God to be glorified in what we do or how we act or how we do things in ministry. So here's a question I want to ask. How do we address these tendencies to fall into this snare, which the Bible says God detests? How do we address these tendencies, which 
if we naturally love to be lifted up in a natural human nature issue, how do we address these tendencies to fall into this snare, which the Bible says God detests? Anybody have a thought? Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 through 26. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become what? Conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Listen, the struggle is real to try to control this fleshly desire. It it really is a legitimacy uh, of an issue that we struggle with. So the struggle is real. And they all seem to work well with each other. All these seven sins or these seven things that God detests. So first off, we have to nail some of these issues that we struggle to the cross. We have to say, man, I, I identify that I have an issue. First off, I think that's part of deliverance when you begin to identify that you have a problem. You get begin to identify this is bigger than than just something that I can just just almost pray away. I need I need some assistance here. I need some help. And some people really legitimately struggle with pride. You know, as an athlete, that's a hard one to pass up. You know, this year in softball, you know, we are, our destiny team just dominated the men's league. And, you know, we got lost one game this year, but we ended up winning the tournament. And then we just went on. We did so good. And the pride sometimes can set in like, yes, we're unstoppable. We cannot be beat. But here's where humility comes in. We bring out a, a co-ed team and we can barely win a game. Thank you, Jesus, for humility. I mean, it, It's good for Isaiah. Me and him have this conversation often in this season because Isaiah gets a lot of his competitive nature from me. And uh, this year in the men's league, we just dominated. I mean, it's just how it was. We just dominated. And this year, he's up there pitching, and balls are being dropped. Uh, People are making airs. We're we're grounding out. We're making outs more frequently than not. Uh, our team batting average is 405 as a team. That means 40% of the time we're going to get on base. When he just got out of our men's league where we were 58% of the time getting on base. It's kind of a humbling thing. So we need this though. But, but from, a, from a spiritual perspective, we have to look at our own struggles and say, listen, I've got to lay it at the cross because I can't do anything with this. I, I'm struggling on my own to try to, to destroy this, whatever this is. I need to crucify it at the cross, nail it, the passions and desires so that I don't become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So the struggle is real. Number two brings us to a lying tongue. He said the seven things that he detests. Number one, a haughty eyes, pride. Number two, lying tongue. In the Hebrew word, it's shakur. It means simply deception, fraudulent, deceitful, falsehood, wrong, falsity, which is self-deceived prophets, and a liar. Listen, 
As the game of hungry hippos, oftentimes we will gobble up everything that is around us. If it looks like it could be true or sounds like there may be some validity to it, we will dangerously do like the game. We will eat it up and then we'll pass it on as if it's true. This is what God is detesting. He is saying, listen, I detest a lying tongue. If I didn't, if, if you did not hear it from this person's mouth, don't release it out of your mouth. Proverbs 21 and 23 says it really simple. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. Man, that's something you could tell your kids. And we should tell your kids that. Listen, watch your mouth. Don't say something that you know is a lie and you'll stay out of trouble. Shut your mouth. I think that's where we get the word. Shut up. Shut your mouth. Don't you dare say a word. Shut it. Don't, don't, don't repeat that. If you don't know it to be true, don't repeat it. I would say things like this to my family. Listen, do you know that to be true? Then don't say it. You're going to become deceitful, a fraud. You're going to become fraudulent. As the scripture said, you'll be known as a liar yourself because you're speaking something that's not true. So here's a question. Why do, why do you think we fall into this trap to spread gossip when you know it might not be 100% truthful? Why do, we, why do you think we fall into this trap to spread gossip when you know it might not be 100% truthful. She, Sister Popperwell walked into the door today and she goes, Pastor Nate, I got some tomatoes for you. No. Those that know me know that's I rebuke and reprove. <laughs> but one thing about a tomato, when you open it up to tell if it's really good, one thing, it's deception. And it is really deception. Tomatoes are. When you cut into that, the juices begin to run off and it looks so tasty just same way with an orange when you begin to peel back an orange and you see that psh, the gust of juices popping out it's so juicy and so what happens is exactly what brother junior said right there it's so juicy that like man, psh, who, who, who can i find to tell this story to because this is so good did you hear about Brother Papa? Well, I'm not sure if it's, you know, just pray about it, brother. Don't know if it's 100% true, but you're willing to do something that is detesting in the eyes of God. Mm, we got to watch that. Anybody else have a thought before I move on on that? Okay. We aren't, here's another thought. We aren't fearful of the repercussions of our lives. The fear of God is left Many of us a long time ago. If I even question the legitimacy of my calling and want to step down and let someone else do it, let somebody else that's better, let them do it. You know what happens to me personally? The fear of God rises up in me that I hear the scripture say, the calling of God is without repentance. Or as it says in the New Living Translation, Romans 11 and 29, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. So I have to walk it out, rather I feel like it or not. But many of us don't fear God when we begin to pass on or gobble up lies anymore. 
That's a scary thought. If we really want to think about it, that is a very scary thought that we're willing to say something that might not be 100% truthful just so we can either be the first to have the news or it's so juicy and appealing or even as Scott said, just because I want to. I just want to do it. That's a very dangerous thing. The lack of the fear of God doesn't exist in the church hardly anymore. There's, the reverence is kind of left. That's a whole other story we can talk about. When I come into the house of God, there's nothing. Let me say it this way. These are four walls that were built by human beings that put up drywall. And there's probably uh, some, some, some stuff behind that. There's who knows how many coats of paint that are on these walls. But we, rep, we come into the house of God to give him praise and some of us still don't even reverence his presence. And it's just a lack of fear. It's not there like it should be. And, and I think about from this natural flesh desire to want to say something juicy, the fear is not there anymore. Uh, well, whatever, God forgive me. I know I didn't really, I don't know if it was truth. And if you get called out on it, you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt anybody. And you've done destruction. It's something that God had said. Look at Psalm 34, 12, and 13. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Listen to what he says. Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. If you want to live a prosperous life, guard your mouth. Be careful what you say about people. Be careful what you, you, who you speak up against even sometimes if it's not truth. Hey, I have no problem if, uh, if Brother Jesus says something that's legitimate, truth, and he tells Brother uh, Julius about something that actually happened. Man, did you hear Pastor Nate? Uh, he got in the flesh Friday. He got in the flesh Friday, got mad. He, he got upset because somebody was saying something about him cheating. He was really mad. Now, guess what? I can't be mad at what Jesus said. Because it's the truth. I, would, I was upset. I could have handled that better. I didn't. I, I could have said, hey, stop talking, guys. We'll talk about this after the game. Let's end it. No more. But I didn't. I let it go. Because I was angry as well. So what he would have said to Brother Julius is 100% truthful. I can't get mad if it's the truth. But if he says, man, did you hear what Pastor Nate did? He punched some dude. Yeah. He threw a ball at him. He was so mad. Partial the truth, because there was some, I was mad, but I didn't punch nobody. I didn't throw a ball at anybody. So what happens is, is we begin to spread lies like it's a fire because it's juicier. And let's look on to number three. He said another thing that detests, that God detests. Hands that kill the innocent. So here we look at hands that kill the innocent. Now this is a pretty easy one to comprehend. If we have murdered or killed the innocent, we not only have to pay a hefty price through our judicial system, but we have also broken one of God's commandments as well. But we can look at this as the law of reaping what you have sown as well. Now, why? here's a question for you that somebody can answer. Why would this specific issue be in the middle? This is always a thought. My mind thinks this way. Why would this specific issue be in the middle of all these other issues that we view as not as destructive physically? 
Anybody have a thought on that? Down here, could it be that when we spread lies, hate, discord, that we are killing relationships, friendships, unity, and community with one another? Sure. We can all debate. If I, if I say some negative things over and over about you and I'm going to assassinate, and as Sister Linda said, your character, then all of a sudden that's hard to, that's hard to recover from. You're, number one, not only she can either believe the lie that you're saying about her or she can say, no, that, the devil is a lie. I don't, I don't receive that, but I'll check you now. I know, I know who's trying to assassinate my character here. I know who's trying to destroy my very being. So sure, yes, I agree with you 100% on that. that. That's what he may be saying right here. So look at James chapter 1, verse 26. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Man, that's a deep, deep, deep scripture. Listen, if you claim to be religious but you can't control your tongue, listen, you're, you're not very effective. You want everybody to hear you and listen to you out, but everything you say is a negativity or lies and not truthful. You gotta be careful. You gotta watch your tongue. You gotta watch what you say that can destroy somebody, as even Linda said, assassinate their character. So let's look at four. The fourth thing that God says, uh, He, He detests a heart that plots evil. Or in another version, it says a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations or devises wicked plans. Simply, we can look at this as hidden agendas. Hidden agendas create chaos in their minds and heart to push what they want to be done around them. Sometimes we'll begin to say things, listen, I got a plan here. We see, we hear stories about church splits because you'll hear a pastor say, well, I, I think I can do this better and I'm going to come up with a plan. But understand this, the heart that plots evil, the Bible says that God detests. And listen, some of us have hit, some of us may have had these hidden agendas, our own self, where we create chaos in our minds and heart to push what we want to be done around them. Which makes me think of manipulation or manipulative. We can all be vulnerable in this area due to the nature of the beast again of mankind. I study Myers-Briggs assessments and I understand there's personality traits that naturally want to be authoritarian. There's personality traits that exist that want to have control even. And so I don't, I don't leg legitimately just think everybody is trying to have a Jezebel spirit or a Leviathan spirit or to try to bring chaos or try that Python spirit. I don't believe that that's always the case. It could be simply that you are an ESFJ and your natural tendency is an emotional manipulator. You make people do stuff that you want to do that is a known weakness of your own, but you've just never addressed it as we read in the, one of the first scriptures that we've never placed that at the cross. We've never nailed that issue that we struggle with at the cross. Now, I am an ENFJ in this Myers-Briggs assessment world, and I know my tendencies. My tendencies naturally, Jesus, was number one to control such situations. I naturally want to control everything around me. Jessica can vouch for this. I naturally want to control my environment. I don't want nobody to come in and tell me to change my ways of doing things. 
I recognize when I gave my heart to Jesus that he has to help me in this area. The Bible says where I am weak, he is made strong. And so I have to look at my natural weaknesses of being in control all the time to say, no, God, I must trust you right now. Lord, I don't, this is what Nathan wants to do, but I must trust in you, God. And it wasn't that I had a spirit on me. I had to address my natural man, human, humanistic nature that I'm struggling with. So naturally, we have tendency, tendencies, if I can talk, to operate in this area, emotionally and agenda-driven to motivate. You know, we, we have a reason. You know, Jesus, when I was selling cars like yourself, I had a hidden agenda to, to try to manipulate people. There was a, a hidden agenda that I knew what my pay was going to be. Now, I don't know how they do it over at Stoops. But I know what my percent, I know how much we had in that markup. Do you guys, I'm assuming, know that still? Okay. So I know some dealerships hide that from the salesman to make them just be the puppet that they are. Like, yes, that's the price. We can't go any lower. I, I don't know. You know, so my tendencies, my, the nature of me to control my atmosphere was to say, I know that there's $2,500 markup in this car. And in order for me to get to my 30%, I have to keep it over $2,000 uh, markup. So I understood $600, Nathan, $600. We got to stay in that mindset. And so I would convince a chase that, listen, this is the car that you need. And here's why you need it. And I would manipulate a conversation in order to get what I wanted to get done. Now, as I got saved, Sister Linda, I had to look at myself in the mirror and go, oh, shoot. Um, and you know that's hard to do in the car business. You, you know there's markup, and they'll ask you the question, the simple question. Hey, you got any wiggle room in there? No one you did. But you're going to play like, listen, we've got, the, we come up with these clever, clever comments like, well, we've got that marked pretty competitively. You know, you're not going to find this truck anywhere like this with the options this has. And I think it's priced right. So you're trying to keep the agenda that I'm trying to get at. And, and the whole time, my heart is simply just struggling with greed, struggling with greed. And so I had to realize that this was a struggle that was real. And I couldn't stay a car salesman much longer after that because it was tough. But God would just bring in people, thank God for favor. God would just bring people in and be like, hey, I'm going to buy new cars. You, you know, it is what it is. Here's what you do. So I started selling a ton of new cars and try to get away from used car. But I knew new car, used car, it was where I was making the most money. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us all. So understand a heart that plots evil simply can be dealt with hidden agendas have a manipulative, manipulative mindset on things as well. But listen, not everything is a spirit or a demon. I want you to get this clear. Some things are just a lack of self-awareness. You're lacking that you're quite not comprehending the, the natural humanistic tendencies that we struggle with, that, that that's what we need to be self-aware of. I am self-aware of what I am, but I've also recognized when I sense something that is not of God is on my life as well, which many of you can maybe relate to that. But understand, we have to be self-aware. Look what Proverbs 6 says. What are worthless and wicked people like? They are constant liars, signaling their deceit with a wink of an eye. 
a nudge of the foot, or the wiggle of the fingers. Their perverted hearts plot evil, and look what they do. They constantly stir up trouble. Everywhere you go, you see a trail of trouble. Everywhere you go, every church that you go through, you see a trail that looks very similar everywhere you go. This is something we're evaluating on our own selves, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in relationships, whether it be wherever. We have to look at ourselves. Is it me or is it really a spirit or is it really that church or is it really that pastor? And what happens, we begin to gobble up everything we think. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what I think it is. That's what I think it is like the game of Hungry Hungry Hippos.